Backed empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Backed to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to backedbakkt.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And this has been a long time coming, at least in my perspective. You've been at it for several years now in the crypto market. Joining us on the other side of the mic is Dan Tapiero, CEO at 10T Holdings. We both share Spanish lineage and our surname, Chaparro, Chaparro, how you're supposed to pronounce it, is actually uh, Galician, which is right above Portugal there. Dan, I mean, you're a prominent veteran macro investor. I don't have to introduce you to many people who follow this space and have seen the recent headlines. I remember when I had a source first reach out to me about 10T, it was over a year ago, and I pulled out my Rolodex to see if I knew anyone who could could track you down so I could get on the line with you. And you laid out your vision, which was to invest in late stage companies as a private equity investor in this space, something that there aren't a lot of. And, you know, not to fluff you up too much, but you've been crushing it. You're, there's not that many unicorns in the space that you don't touch from Kraken to eToro to Ledger. Thank you for coming on the show. Maybe just walk through our viewers, listeners rather, how you sort of began your crypto journey and how you came to the decision that crypto was ready for a late stage private equity like investor. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Glad to be here too, Frank. It has been a long time coming, but happy to be here. Yeah, I I mean, when we look at the space, uh, as you know, it's mostly on the private equity side, it's mostly filled with you know, early stage investors, VC investors, the famous names, Andreessen and Polychain, Paradigm, Pantera, all of those guys focus mostly on seed and angel rounds, A at times. And, you know, they're mostly technologists, you know, and and venture capitalists. And I neither. I'm a global macro investor. I'm looking always for to capture broad structural changes in the world, in the economy, and actually the VC investment style kind of makes me, you know, a little nervous. I mean, me personally, I mean, obviously it's been a fantastic strategy and the returns there have been huge, but, you know, the style of investing in a bunch of companies and potentially having some zeros, and then a few end up being Google or Amazon, you know, the total return ends up being phenomenal, but I've just never been comfortable having a zero in anything. And so it's just a, a different a different style. And so 10T 
you know, we focus on mid to late stage businesses. And I say mid to late stage, we have certain sort of demarcations. Uh, one would be, you know, around $500 million in market valuation. Um, that's sort of a minimum size. Of the first 12 investments we've made, 10 of them have been over a billion dollars and uh, only two have been uh, between 500 and a billion. But it's incredible how fast this space has grown. I mean, almost shockingly fast. And, you know, about 15 months ago, there were only 14 businesses in the space that had a valuation of over a billion dollars. And so originally investors said to me, you know, oh, well, there aren't that many companies in the space that are mid to, mid to late stage. You know, how are you going to access them? You know, it's not that straightforward, et cetera. Anyway, a year and change later, there are almost 70 companies that have a valuation of over a billion dollars. And there are over 100 that are over 500 million. So what's really shocking to me is that we're still the only fund out there that exclusively and only invests in mid to late stage, what I call digital asset ecosystem, DAE companies. You know, you have every once in a while, you'll have Tiger or Co2, you know, come in and make investments, you know, but those are larger private equity funds and crypto is only a, a small portion of what they do. But us, you know, this is all we do. We do this all day, every day. You know, we know all the companies in our target zone, either directly or at least, you know, one person removed uh, between me and, and people on the team. And, you know, it's been, as I said, incredible, the pace. Uh, we launched with $124 million in January, and now we're at $750 million AUM. And we've invested uh, over $700 million into the space in the last six, seven months. And I think that's got to be uh, the largest amount of any fund. Again, we write larger tech checks than the VC uh, guys. And so maybe Andreessen has been more prolific. But in terms of total dollars, I think we've been the, the largest uh, in the space. Yes, we reported back in September that you guys had deployed, invested more than $650 million into some of the largest companies in the crypto market. And I think when we spoke over the phone, you were even surprised at the pace at which these companies have seen their valuations balloon and enter sort of unicorn status. But you still, when we spoke, it was a great conversation, you still kind of drove home the point that a lot of these companies, for the most part, and especially the ones you're dealing with, are not overvalued if you look at sort of the revenues that they're bringing in. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we we, we do such a deep dive. You know, we, we actually know what's going on and people are saying, oh, FTX raises it, whatever, 20 times revs or Paxos or BlockFi or raising it, you know, 20 times plus or 25 times, you know, I, I can't remember. And, you know, often in the press, there's lots of talk about that there's froth. And uh, but frankly, we don't see that at all. I mean, we haven't paid anything more than 10 or 11 times revenues for any of the businesses that we own. And I think that's largely because this area, the capital stack is star for capital in the crypto space. And that's because, you know, ordinarily you would have the growth equity funds, those giant private equity funds coming in and investing here. 
And yet I think they're still a little uncomfortable with cryptocurrency. They're uncomfortable with macro. I think you have to have a macro view to do what we're doing. And, you know, they have certain metrics and they look at companies a certain way and crypto doesn't necessarily fit neatly. And so beyond the, you know, the companies that I just mentioned and some of the other ones that have been in the press and um, that are very high profile, there are many companies that are making a lot of money that maybe not even are interested necessarily in doing a primary round, but, you know, we'll approach one of those companies, one of our, you know, what I call target companies, and we'll say, hey, you know, we see you're doing $100 million in revenue. Are you looking for liquidity? Do you need growth capital? And, you know, very often they do, and we're the only ones that come knocking on their door. And so we've been able to buy things at very reasonable valuations. Also, look, a lot of the found, not a lot, but many of the founders in the space are sitting on businesses they've been in for five, six, seven years and have had no liquidity. And, you know, so it's, you know, we come at this from a lot of different angles. We find lots of different ways to find the equity that we want to have in the portfolio. So. That kind of speaks to what I would refer to as or describe as an interesting juxtaposition between maybe series D and under and series D and above, which is in the former group, you kind of have ample amounts of capital where the supply and demand situation is almost inverse. You have a lot of companies that aren't starved for capital and you have a lot of investors who need to deploy it at the seed stage to maybe series D stage. And we see that in the announcement today or the reporting today that Paradigms closed a $1.5 billion fund. A16Z obviously had announced a $2.2 billion fund, I think was the number. And so this is what you're sort of describing. There's plenty of capital going towards these smaller companies or more nascent startups, plenty of capital to go there. But once these more, once you get to the more mature stage, you don't have sort of the, to the extent that you would in maybe traditional markets, the Tigers and KOTUs. Well, there's nobody. I mean, honestly, that exclusively focuses on this. There are, as I said, Tiger, KOTU, et cetera. A few other of the bigger guys will come in every once in a while. You know, I'm not really sure why this is. I think, look, as I said, a year and a half ago, there weren't that many companies that would be called mid to late stage. But I think, look, the gigantic returns are in that seed and a, you know, early round investing. And some guys are making, you know, a thousand X, you know, people bought Solana at two in January and it's now 150. You know, the same goes for, you know, any of those early stage projects. It's just that, again, I don't do that. And also we don't invest in the cryptocurrencies themselves. We only invest in, you know, we have a portfolio of about 10 to 15 companies that are our targets that we invest in the portfolio. And my funds one and two are already over 80% allocated. And so in those businesses, and as I said, we weren't reaching on valuation. We're very careful. We probably turned down between, it's certainly over 50 deals that we looked at that we turned down. And look, there is significant revenue being, being created here. So it's not like it's, it's on thin air. I just think that, look, we would be happy with a five to 10 X return. And in the crypto space, you know, sometimes guys are chuckling at like 
five or 10 X, like that's a joke, right? But for our investors and LPs and, and for me too, I mean, I'd be thrilled to make a five to 10 X in, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, that's good enough for me, right? I, I think that, and I think when you invest in a company at a $500 million valuation or a billion, it's easier for it to be worth five or 10 billion than if you really go for much larger businesses as well. Like the, you know, if you're a $20 billion a company, it's sort of harder to get to 200 billion. So we think we're in this sweet spot of sort of 500 to 2 billion to make those five to 10 X returns. You've cut your teeth at a number of different investment firms from Tiger to SAC Capital, right? You know, working with Mr. Cohen. A lot of these firms now, I mean, Point 72 has backed most recently Zero Hash and their Series C, which was kind of like a Series C part two. How much of a differentiator is solely focusing on these later stage companies when you have some of these? powerhouses coming in and, and competing for space on the cap table? Well, I mean, look, Steve has always done venture in one form or another, but their focus again on venture. And Steve, I think, you know, also more focused on alpha and I would say extreme returns. You know, I don't think, you know, we we put $170 million into Ledger. We invested $95 million into Deribit. We put 118 million into Kraken. I don't think Steve Point 72 uh, is making uh, that, those type of investments. Certainly not those names, not where they are in their growth, and certainly not that amount of capital. I mean, of course, he can invest in anything he wants, but it's just not not their focus. So again, I don't think I can compete with those venture investors. I just don't have that skill set. The team that we've built now, 12 people, isn't a venture team. Um, you know, we do traditional sort of bottom up, you know, valuation analysis, but we also have a lot of macro valuation tools that I use and I bring from my background working with these guys who you've mentioned. And this business that we have, 10T, is very similar in a lot of ways to Another business that I launched with Stan Druckenmiller when I was working at Duquesne called uh, Agcoa, which we launched in 06, by 2013, had become the largest private farmland REIT in the U.S. And we ended up selling that to CPP, the Canadian Pension Fund System, in 2013. And I say it's similar because it's really, that was really sort of an aggregating business. Uh, we were very bullish on ag had positions in the grain futures, et cetera, and in 06. And, you know, Stan, I think, liked the idea and wanted a different way to express it. And I came up with this idea of owning farmland in certain pockets in the U.S. And we partnered with the Goldman Sachs partners and, and launched AgCoa. And for several years there, 09, 10, 11, we were certainly the largest buyer of farmland in the United States. You know, I'd come up with a set of metrics, just like, you know, in a way now, but valuation metrics. Uh, we hired a team in the Midwest. They went out to look for farms that qualified under those metrics. And then and then we purchased them. And, you know, I think in the end, we ended up owning over 100 farms. It was a pretty big portfolio. CPP bought it, as I mentioned. And then last year, they sold that entire portfolio to Bill Gates for a billion dollars. And so Bill Gates now owns all those original farms that we had 
put together. My point is that 10T is in a way also an aggregating business. It's a macro bet on a sector. And, you know, we already know what sectors we want to invest in. We have the sectors lined up and we already know the handful of companies in each sector that we want to own. And hopefully we can get them. And if we can't, then we have backups. And so the portfolio really is a broad bet, a diversified bet on the growth in the overall value of the digital asset ecosystem. Bill Gates, if you're listening, you have another opportunity here. Uh, we'll, we'll drop uh, Dan's email at the bottom of the show link. I, this is a stupid question. I'm going to ask it anyway. But are there any similarities between picking winning farms and picking winning crypto companies? Yeah, of course there are similarities. Um, I think about you know value, what I'm getting, and what I expect to get in the future. So, you know, with the farms, I sort of created a scenario and said, what is this company worth? if XYZ view plays out in five years, that's a macro view. And then I look at the farms and I say, okay, well, if that's the view, what other metrics can we look at? You know, we're looking at cash flow, of course, a lot of, as I said, traditional corporate finance metrics, but in crypto, it's the same thing. It's like, we have models where I can plug in a different Bitcoin price just into the model and I'll get a different valuation for the company. So, you know, we bought a company earlier this year and Bitcoin was trading like 15,000 and uh, 20,000 maybe. Yeah. And, you know, I just plugged in a 40,000 price and, you know, the company's five-year value multiplied by a lot more than you might think. And so that's just one very simple way in which it's the same, you know, assessing value based on a macro view. It's just with different variables. See, I'm glad I asked these weird questions, Dan, because at this point you're making about the connection of Bitcoin price to the broader market. We've seen dominance fall towards about 40% or so. Um, yeah. Price is ripping, but there's been an explosion of new assets, right? And and some of the more nascent assets, you think of something like Solana, which wasn't really on the radar for most folks last year, has now soared towards, um, at some point in the year, it was above 200, I think. And so it raises the interesting question of, at what price does Bitcoin need to fall that would bring some of these private valuations down? Well, again, I don't think... The valuations of things that we're looking at are high to begin with. So just as an example, this year, Bitcoin fell 50% and it had zero impact on the value of the companies. I mean, maybe the value stopped going up or maybe it went sideways for a month or two, but not really. A lot of things just kept going because so these more are so just... the upside, more so the upside brings it up than the downside. Right. So there's an asymmetry here which is one of the reasons that I'm drawn to it. Because again, you said in what ways is the farmland similar? Well, in 08, every single asset in the world was down, marked down in price, except for bonds, of course, and our farmland portfolio. And so I saw that you could have a productive portfolio of assets withstand an unbelievable bear market without even having a negative mark. And so, you know, in 2018, what 
brought me to this idea to some degree was in 18, Bitcoin was down 80%, Ethereum 95%, but a basket of companies that we looked at broadly maintained their value. So, I mean, to me, that's like mind blowing. I could build a portfolio that has access to all of the upside, not just of Bitcoin and Ethereum, but the entire space without having to suffer, hopefully, much on the downside. And so I think for institutions, especially, this is a very attractive type of portfolio because many of them can't own cryptocurrency illegally. Most of the people from sort of the legacy financial world have a hard time understanding even uh, token economics. And this is just really simple. They all own private equity. This is 10 to 15 companies. Here's how I'm going to have four buckets. I'm going to have two to three businesses in each bucket, and they're all going to be making money. Uh, these are not sort of early businesses, right? And so any company that's making money, when we're talking $50, $100 million in revenue, you know, looks like other companies in a way. It's just that the underlying business is very different. And, you know, many traditional investors don't really understand that. But, you know, that's where we come in. Also, look, as you just mentioned, I think it's a great point about it's not just Bitcoin and Ethereum. There's been a real broadening and deepening in the space in the past 15 months. And, you know, the growth rates of some of these subsectors within the digital asset ecosystem has been astronomical. I mean, I look at like the borrowing and lending space is up between 10 and 15 times from last year. NFT sales are up 100x from last year, you know, the amount staked in DeFi uh, up 100x. And so stablecoin growth up 10x. So you have these massive growth areas. And there are many people saying, wow, that's cool. But I don't really know, you know, I don't really have a view on Ethereum, even though it's up 20 times from last year in, val in, in the price is up 20. I don't really know much. But I know that the portfolio that we're building will be leveraged to all of those developments, right? So if you're an institutional asset allocator and you don't want to have idiosyncratic risk, this really is, I mean, at least in my view, the, the best way that I could think of to express that view and say, hey, we're not shooting for 20 or 50 times return. We'd be happy with a 5 or 10x and yet still have all of the powerful macro trends that we both know are, are driving, you know, the overall ecosystem. Back is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backbakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24 seven. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. 
I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone, and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at Exodus.com today. I would be remiss if I had you on the show and didn't bring macro into the picture here. It's a interesting world right now, right? You have talks of a trillion dollar coin, inflation creeping into the picture, and, and then you have, right, gold price being depressed, higher U.S. Treasury yields, and Bitcoin's ripping up, which I should give you uh, some flack for. Um, you were kind of not a Bitcoin bear for a few weeks there, but you were kind of thinking that it would stay around 50. Why in a world where inflation is becoming more of a topic is gold kind of stuck in the doldrums, but Bitcoin seems to be reacting well? Well, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons for it. Um, you know, I, I'm trying not to really look at the existing macro framework in a traditional way. Well, I'm not that I'm trying. I'm not. I mean, I think that some of the variables that we used to look at to make judgments about the financial markets and about economies around the world, I'm not sure that those same variables are relevant today in the way that they used to be. So when you say inflation, even, which is supposedly, you know, we should all know what that is. I'm not really sure what that is. I mean, the unemployment rate has dropped, but yeah, and average hourly earnings are up a bit, but it doesn't really feel like an inflation like we had, you know, in previous periods. I understand that there are, you know, certain items that are in shortage. Uh, we have the oil price up at $80. I mean, I get that, but the only thing that really feels to me like it's really inflationary is the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I point this out often on Twitter, that the S&P 500 and the dollar are both down 99% against Bitcoin in the last 10 years. And so what I think is happening is that there is a reflation in a way happening, or it's actually a deflation in the old world versus an inflation in the new world. And so people often ask me, so there's all this debt overhang. How do we get out of the debt, right? It's 300% of GDP. All the governments in the country, all the governments around the world have negative real yields basically on their debt. And I think what happens is, you know, there isn't a default because there's no way to pay that debt back. Mm. What there is, is, is a devaluation of the entire fiat financial system mm. against this new digital asset ecosystem. Mm. And so massive wealth has been created in the last few years in this DAE. I mean, um, and it's not just, and it, it's not the institutions and it's not institutional investors. They're mostly individuals and, you know, some key smart uh, ahead of the game investors 
you know, today Bill Miller came out and I put this on Twitter and, and had some comments. You know, here's a guy who's been long Bitcoin since 500. Uh, he's up 100x, right? There aren't more than a handful of sort of really savvy old world investors uh, who really understand the story in the way that he does. But again, when you say inflation, uh, you know, I'm not even, you know, Japan and Germany are still pretty much deflating. China is pretty much, it looks deflating. I mean, there were, as I said, one-off increases in certain commodities and shortages in certain things. The other thing, but the other thing I hear on, you know, Bloomberg radio and in the financial press is the possibility of the market, various markets taking a hit from pressure of the new word du jour, stagflation. Is this something that we should be worrying about? And and how does crypto fit into that? Yeah. I mean, stagflation is just no growth with higher prices. Whenever that happens temporarily, they call it stagflation. In the 70s, there was true stagflation. Maybe there's no growth in certain sectors of the economy. Maybe we have, I mean, I think we have slowing growth now, but for most of this year, growth has been massive. GDP has been the largest I've seen in my entire life, you know, from the post-COVID period. And there's still a huge amount of liquidity floating out there. So I, look, I think using these sort of words that we used between, let's say, 1980 and 2020, even, to describe economic developments, I just, I've stopped doing it. I really have. And I'm trying to focus on- It's a brave new world, Dan. Dan. It's a brave new world. I mean, I'm trying to focus on what is the most dynamic, what are the most dynamic things I see out there? Where, you know, where is massive wealth being created? Where's the new world? And it's just this DA, I don't even look at the old markets anymore. I couldn't tell you, what the price of the S&P 500 is. I don't even know. And I used to, trust me, I used to know. Um, the currencies don't move. Interest rates are basically pegged of negative rate, negative real rates. Um, I don't see interest rates going up because that'll make the debt more difficult to, to um, finance. I just don't I just don't see that happening. And the stock market is so sensitive to that because you know, it's a traditional linkage that it's, 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 you know, used to. So I just, I've ignored all of that. I, I don't think there's any alpha. Well, you're paying close attention yeah. to crypto. Yes. Obviously. Are yes. there any risks creeping up into the market that were you maybe something to do with? There's obviously a lot of headlines about Tether. The, the lending market is on fire. Um, the yields are very juicy any of those types of things uh, a concern? Well, I mean, Tether is the classic FUD that gets thrown out there. I don't think Tether is relevant, really. So, uh, and I looked at this, I looked at it in 2018 closely. Uh, I just don't think it matters. It's just a stable coin. And, you know, it's just, there's the same risk there as with anywhere else. And they had some problems and they were resolved. I just think it's, People who are looking for reasons not to own the space, that's one of them. Another one is, oh, hey, the governments are all going to ban it. Okay, well, China did ban it, and it meant nothing. Again, okay, the price is 20,000 points higher than when they banned it. And the U.S. 
Jay Powell and Gensler both said they're not going to ban it. That's not their interest. We're going to have a little more regulation, which I think is, you know, legitimate. I hope we here in the U.S. don't overregulate it. But look, when you say prices are that high, so in 2000, beginning, end of 17, early 18, which is three years ago, Bitcoin hit, what, 20,000, right? So here we are three years later. The fundamentals couldn't be better. Adoption has massively increased over those three years. And the Bitcoin price is only at 50,000. It's a joke. Now, Ethereum is up more, but Ethereum in the last peak was what, 1,200 or 1,500? I, I, I don't remember. And so now it's double that, 1,800. Okay, it depends where it went on a spike or whatever. Things haven't moved that much. Yeah, some of the new projects, they're venture capital investments. You know, there are many things that are up from one to 100, right? It's not just Solana. You know, look at Helium, the HNT token. That's up thousands and thousands of percent. Early stage investments can do that. But the space itself, I mean, the companies from three years ago, as I said, a year and a half ago, there were only 14 companies worth a billion dollars. And today there's 70. That's a massive uh, growth spurt. Um, but Bitcoin and Ethereum are hardly up at all based uh, versus how much the fundamentals have improved. Imagine, remember a few years ago, people would said, oh, China controls all the Bitcoin mining in the world and therefore they're going to bring it down and there's risk. So what did China do? They banned Bitcoin mining stupidly. And what happened? Nothing. It's been great for America. And what you're seeing now is a real boom in Texas. You saw Ted Cruz's comments yesterday mm -hmm. that Nick Carter posted on uh, Twitter. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Texas is going to become one of the world's dominant Bitcoin mining locations. And it's going to do tremendous things for their state revenues. They're going to tax things. It's going to create jobs. You know, it's Texas is really leading the way. I mean, you have Wyoming, too, and a few other places. But Texas is going to transition from you know, oil and gas, I think, to Bitcoin and crypto to, mining. Yeah, to rigs and uh, bits. Yeah. I tweeted about this yesterday. Um, this is tangential and political, which I try not to wade in too often. But <laughs> I think, yeah, if you look at a lot of the proponents of this market out there in the Senate, a lot of them have R's next to their names, which is not a good position for Democrats who already have a hard enough time uh, with the way that yeah, the Senate is. Yeah, but it doesn't have is. to be that way. I mean, there can be Democrats that see this as, you know, a tremendous innovation that this could be an important part of our economy going forward. And, you know, both Democrats and Republicans would like Americans to be gainfully employed, listen, in industries that have a future. There are many industries today that are not going to exist 10 years from now. You know, and there are hundreds that. of companies that exist today in crypto that didn't exist when exactly. you first got in or exactly. I exactly. So it doesn't have to, you know, fall on those party lines. But Ted Cruz, you know, Ted Cruz was a legitimate Republican candidate, you know, the last uh, four and eight years ago. Right. So imagine now, I mean, it's not impossible if you get another 50 million Americans owning Bitcoin in the next few years, then Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, involved in the space is what I mean. You know, there could be a huge groundswell for someone like a Cruz to run again and to have the backing of this massive group of potential crypto Bitcoiners.
right? I mean, I think it's also a, an important generational shift. I mean, the I think we've talked about this before that I've never seen an asset class break down like this. I mean, people over 65 don't get it at all. And people under 30 get it immediately. And there's a distribution. And the 40-year-olds are kind of right at the top. They're right in the, the middle of that bell curve. So I think if we're looking at the future, I think there's certainly a strong case to be made that as the younger people come into political power, that we're going to have a, a transition in the way that people are viewing the crypto business. And look, it's still very new. It's, it's still very early uh, in my view. And I think when some of the older guys and the doubters, they sort of move on uh, naturally, I think there'll be more advocacy for Bitcoin and crypto. So I'm hopeful about the future more the long-term future than the short-term. I can see some of the boomer-type guys messing things up here a little bit for us. And remember, and this is the thing I say every time I do an interview, I say, look, bottom line, this is a global business. 90% of total world volume is outside of the United States. There is a Bitcoin owner, a crypto owner in every country around the world there are nodes in every country and every spot around the world. There are more node operators in Germany than in the U.S. So the U.S. can't think of Bitcoin and crypto as its thing. It's not its thing. It's a global development. And I think that there is risk that we make mistakes on regulation that dissuade people from growing their businesses here and dissuade people from owning cryptocurrency. And I think that would be a big mistake. But in the last week or two, it's sort of feeling like they're doing more research, right? Which is the important thing, is to not weigh in with judgments until they've done the work. I mean, you and I both know the amount of work that you have to do to get to a place where you sort of feel like you understand it. It's just enormous. You really have to just live in it 24-7, or as close to 24-7 as you can get. Dan, I'm so glad you came on the show. I want to leave it with maybe a contrarian take that you have for the short to medium term. Appreciate you stopping by. Maybe before you give your contrarian take, you can let our listeners learn more about where you can be found and what you're up to these days. Um, let me see. I mean, I certainly think that within, maybe this is not so much a contrarian take, I would say that within um, 10 years, okay, I know that seems like a long time, but I think within 10 years, you could probably have 100 or more of the companies in the S&P 500 be crypto connected. I don't think you'd have many people saying that. Well, if you like, look how I, many new crypto billionaires there are, that's uh, not outside the realm of possibility. No, no, it's not. I think it's just a, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time. You can find me. Look, I'm on Twitter, DTAPCAP. Uh, also, our website, 10tfund.com. Lots of information about what we've been up to. I'm very sort of open and generous with information. Uh, it's all there. Uh, I'm still surprised that I'm the only guy doing it, really. But I, I suspect that there'll be more coming, especially from the well-capitalized older world. And again, all I'm doing really is focusing on 10T and building another portfolio for 
myself and my um, and my investors. So, Frank, it's been a pleasure to be here. Great to chat and catch up with you. Always is the case, Dan. You're um, you're a hell of a lot of fun. The Scoop will be back with you guys again with another great guest. Take it easy, Dan. Thank you. Talk to you soon.